So when we um, take refuge or recollect the triple gem, it's it's a matter of resensing uh, a whole kind of field, uh, uh, some mandala, a field, a kind of a whole space, rather than a particular point or a field of value, field of blessings, punyaki tang field of blessings, field of value. In this field there are things like courage and faith and integrity and conscience and concern, morality, mindfulness, all these lovely qualities that we can recollect specifically and individually in these particular, you know, single points. And yet really the 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 main thing to, to realizes the sense all this blends into it as a kind of whole, holistic field. So everything kind of meets and all these values blend into something, you know, which is what we take refuge in. So I'd like to just encourage entering into more holistic field experience than the particular point by point process the two have validity um, but it can be the case that we're much more attuned to the point by point individuated highly differentiated this is this and that is that the things that the quality of consciousness the attitude that sees things as separate very good at object definition, very good at fine lines and points, um, can err into criticism and isolation, aloneness and these kinds of things. Uh, So then it it, it had the shadow effects where, you know, there's a sense of negativity that arises around this, this high degree of discrimination, differentiation. So to balance that, you know, we we more like uh, try to attune to the whole sense, a whole sense rather than a particular point. It's a little bit fuzzy at first. I'm sort of struggling for words for it. The wholeness of what brings one here. You may think, we can say, well, I come here because it's eight o'clock and I'm supposed to be here. Well, that's not going to get you very far, is it? <laughs> you know, I, I came here so as I could get this particular thing and this thing could happen. That's, not, that's going to cause some disappointment and frustration, isn't it? But if you really tune to what brings you here, there's a kind of sense of a whole series of inclinations, uh, a certain movement of inclination. And there may be things like uh, to be more loving, to make peace with myself, to be clearer in my mind, to... Um, share some time with fellow people. You know, all kinds of particular points might arise out of that, and the field is both the sum total of all that and somehow bigger than that. You never quite can articulate the wholeness of it. And this is exactly what your life is. Exactly what your life is. There's all kinds, there's an immense amount of historical events and data, and, you know stuff in there and yet it's actually bigger than that 
you can never name the wholeness that you arise within. One moment you're happy, next moment you're sad. Sometimes you're very generous, then you can get cranky and cantankerous. And you mean well, and there's all kinds of contradictions and ambiguities in there. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. The points don't always match up. Mm. And so, you know, you go to the wholeness of something that's a little more anonymous, actually, vaguely defined as a, as a general, you know, seeking or inclination of the heart. Mm. You might say, to, for the good, for the bright, for the holy, for the wholeness, for the peace, for the, so forth. And this is, a, a, you know, much more, if you take any, this is a much more kind of whole sense of, of experience. And right, like the Dhamma, you know, there's any number of teachings that can be given, and finally, it's you can never say all of it. It's bigger than that. Whenever one says something, you think, oh, I forgot to say that. When you emphasize this point, you always think, oh, well, but on the other hand, there's this. <laughs> it's like that. But when you try to just kind of attune to the wholeness, you come back behind all the striking points, all the, the thought processes, all the burning issues. And you come back to something that's softer and wider and more spacious. Similarly, in your body, you know, what, what is your body? You can feel the sensations in your hands, uh, the feeling of your legs. You can feel any particular twinges and pains you have. You can feel a rhythm like breathing. You know, it's all of that, isn't it? And yet it's more. It's, it's, there's, it's, there's a whole sense of something. The very When we say the bodily sense is the very sense of being in, located in a particular place. You know, the body knows it's here. The here-ness, what's that? Can you define it apart from this sense of um, a kind of a uh, positional, certain sense of solidity, vibrancy? Mm. So you go to try to just acknowledge these whole, more holistic senses uh, because mostly I suggest our mind training is very much towards points which have their value for definition, for articulation, for, dis- for discrimination. And yet if you don't see the whole, the bigness, the vastness, then there's a loss of balance. Balance occurs when you, see the, when you sense the particular point within something bigger. Then that's balance. What are you balanced within? You know, and to attune to balance, you have to find a kind of a center point, which may be even sort of a sense of negativity. That's what's, that's what's right at the point of your mind right now. And you open up into the larger sense of, of being here, being present, being open, being aware. And you just put the two together. 
and what will occur by itself is there is a, as a kind of um, an osmosis or some sort of process like that whereby the, the center adjusts itself rather like a tightrope walker you know, swaying and they don't cling to the tightrope you sense that but really you open out to get into the largeness and in that largeness the center finds itself Our tendency when we panic and just to recognize that a lot of life is low-grade sustainable panic ricochets reactions you know grab it snatch run push button flashlight ring bell get grape you know <laughs> kind of stuff like they <laughs> train chimpanzees and things like that um, you know, it's a kind of, in other words, there's not, not the time to really sense and open into an experience. You just bounce from one point to the next point, one time frame to the next time frame, from this event to the next duty and so forth. The, the kind of intervening stuff is skipped over as somehow being, there's no point in it. Because there isn't a point in it. That's the point of it. It's, it's that spaciousness that allows the points to line up in an agreeable, balanced way. Without that, it's really very, very risky. We run on perhaps on goodwill, well-meaningness, and yet there can be a, a driven sense or a sense of you never quite get it right. Mm. You never quite feel exactly right. Because until you find the wholeness, the center never feels secure in itself it's always being held by some hope or concern or worry or you know uh, opinion or righteousness or fear something like that it's holding it there so we feel slightly rigid inside and because of that we get fragile and and tend to lose balance or snap or or things of that nature so it's in the wholeness that you it, uh, you find the, the balancing medium. The beauty of it is, is that wholeness and wholesomeness go together. So one of the realizations that the Buddha had in his first his night of awakening was there is such a thing as wholesome and unwholesome, good and bad, dark and br- uh, bright and dark. These are not just value judgments. These are not just approval, disapproval, socialization judgments, thou shalt, thou shalt not. These are actual recognitions of particular energetic qualities. And wholesome is that which leads to a wholeness and a healing and a holiness. These are all interconnected. This is much more than just a play on words. The wholesome is that which, when you, as, you re, as you enter into it, you feel yourself release, relax, open, and you become, you feel big and whole. Unwholesome is held, pushed, driven, and it, it splinters. When it's unwholesome, there's a, there's, a defin, there's a strong discrimination between me and you. Um, 
my wants and your wants, um, my needs and your needs, my opinions and your opinions. And it's not necessarily directly malevolent. It can be a worry. Worry is unwholesome. Guilt is unwholesome. Anxiety is unwholesome. So we're not looking at, you know, blaming, saying you shouldn't do this, because it's not about that. It's just the recognition of the particular energies that we are heir to that, that, that self-destruct. They cause us tremendous harm and hurt, or sometimes just slow erosion of confidence, a slow, steady, dripping erosion of one's sense of value. The more that one is following or caught in the unwholesome, it just starts to to corrode your, your sense of wholeness and assurance and dignity and graciousness and spaciousness. Things that really are, um, you know, are there for us. Actually, the unwholesome is much more than just um, deliberate act of the will. It's, these could be tendencies that we just kind of get lost in, or even getting inculcated: competitiveness, performance, uh, criticism, fear, hostility. I mean, this is the kind of underlying message of a lot of media, isn't it? You know. To, to, to find fault with to, and, that's, and to, to blame or to accuse or to, uh, you know, to compete and be better than. So you always get this high degree of differentiation. And then there are things that are more direct and based upon that, the mind loses its sense of, of wholeness and embracingness and forgiveness and these kinds of rather lovely qualities. We'd like to be that, but it doesn't happen because... So when we get drawn into, the mind kind of has forgotten those moves. You know, you can remember the words, and we know the words, but somehow something in us hasn't actually, has lost the step, you know, has lost the tune. You've got the words, you haven't got the tune, you know. <laughs> How do you do it? How do you do it, you know? And, and uh, basically all of these things require a kind of, a waiting, you might say a stopping, not going forward, not going back, not fixing, not changing, not denying, not, not moving away from, not fudging it, not throwing it out, your fault, not throwing it in, my fault. You know? So it's all that stopping, that just arresting that movement of the mind. So just, let's just stop all that stuff. You know? And just get wider, wider and wider and wider, and staying with that. So in, in fact, what happens is some of the details start to fade out. It's rather like when you, in, it, when you're, in your visual consciousness, you know, you can focus on a tiny little point in the carpet or the wall, and you can get that down to really raise the sharp definition. Or you could actually open your attention to just see the whole wall or the carpet. And some of the, the differentiation of the pattern starts to kind of, is no longer so apparent. It's that kind of widening effect. And you can do it with your eyes. You probably do it with your hearing, you know, from my voice to the silences and the subtle sounds in the street and so forth. So there is that, yeah. And you can do it in your body. And once you start to kind of get the system to know that, that particular... Um, flexing 
then there's a lot more possibility to do it with the mind. Particularly if the mind is, is, is being tethered to the, something else that's doing it. You know, so if you tether your mind to the, to the breathing and the, and the breath body starts to open, there's a good chance it will take the mind with it. So you get the sense. And then, oh, oh, what happened? What did I do? You didn't do anything, really. You just, you just got on the right bus. <laughs> you know, you got on the right vehicle and it went that way. It opened up. Uh, and, oh. and, and so that suddenly there's a shift. And one fear was things that were really getting right in your nerves that just, oof, doesn't matter. What was I bothered with that for? You know, uh, you know, things that you felt yourself very highly configured in. Suddenly, you think, that's not my story. You know, I'm not. That's, that doesn't concern me. You know, where I was in conflict with other people, you realise that. No, I'm not. Actually, I don't really care. <laughs> how did I? How did I ever get that? You know, because <laughs> I, I, you know, I know what happens. For myself, for example, you know, you get into conflict with another person, then you think, "Well, I don't see. I, this is the way." She says it's this way, and there's that feeling of conflict. So you just kind of push to get over the conflict. <laughs> and actually, because that's the sort of response to, to this irritation, you know, from the, from the the mind that still kind of believes in rights and wrongs, and 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 winners and, lo- and that winners and losers point definition, in which is the right and which is the wrong. We can't both be right, can we? So I'm right and you're wrong. But you think you're right and I'm wrong. So where do we get out of that one? <laughs> do I dominate you or do you dominate me? Do I give up and say, okay, all right, you win? Or what? Or do you just realize, well, this is the experience of conflict, isn't it? How do I relate to conflict? How do I relate to that? Well, how I relate to it is I start kicking and fighting and blaming and, and stuff of that nature, either subtly or, or gross. Fortunately, it's become more subtle now. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's not like being three anymore, but it, it's not a lot better. Because <laughs> oh, that nerve, just that's all it knows how to do. Yeah. But then if you recognize, well, the, the truth of the matter really, well, who's right and wrong is arguable right now. We can't, we don't agree on that. What we both would agree upon is there is conflict. There is dukkha. Mm-hmm. There is dukkha. Right. No denying that. So then rather than fixing it, jumping over it, dumping it inwardly, Ah, my problem. Dumping it outwardly, your problem. Dukkha is to be understood. Not, and this word, you know, parinyaya, parinyaya, uh, it means thoroughly felt, thoroughly known. This is where sometimes we have problems with the language because the English language tends to uh, sense knowing as a cognitive act thought, knowing. Um, Asian traditions, by and large, tend to see knowing as much more uh, an effective, intuitive, heart, 
experience. You get it in your gut, you get it in your heart. So it's a sense of really opening, thoroughly knowing, thoroughly feeling the agitation of conflict in your heart. Doesn't matter the story, it always comes down to this. Doesn't matter who's involved, it always comes down to whether it's anxiety, whether it's conflict with yourself, conflict with your emotions, conflict with other people, not wanting to be other than you are, wanting to get it right, fearing getting it wrong. It doesn't really matter what the topic is. It come, the Buddha says it comes down, this is for realization, it comes down to this particular point. This is the point when we stop and we open and we thoroughly embrace that. We'll just wrap around it, if you like. You, you know, let the mind go into a more holistic sense you know, where we're no longer trying to get over the conflict. We just really want to feel the energies of that as it moves through us. And the more you feel it, the more you, you sense, yeah, there's this feeling of conflict, and it, it sort of, but it's limited, it ends there. You know, sometimes you can almost feel it in your nervous system. You've got a real strong center in your heart and it's the pain or the conflict is kind of running through your body and somewhere at the end of your fingertips or in the roots of your hair or in your toes it's not there <laughs> you know they're quite relaxed you know, you, you, you know or in the space around you sometimes you make it really wide like just the space around you is not in conflict so you touch into the place, the ending of conflict, the limitation of it, the outward boundary of it. You can sense it not just as an ending in time, but an ending in space. It goes this far, and then this is the non-conflict place. When you touch into the non-conflict, or the what's called the non-arising of dukkha, the third noble truth, you touch into that, then you have, in fact, extended the boundary as far as is needed. That's as far as it goes. And you just wait there. And just touching into this fundamental truth of non-suffering. The fundamental truth of non-suffering, which is, um, you know, your mind entrains to that, starts to pick up that starts to sense that and that's what you want that's what you always wanted that's where you always wanted to be so you, you know your mind starts to pick that up and the wave and the tension of conflict just starts to collapse into non-conflict It's important to recognize, you know, the wholesome and the unwholesome. The unwholesome is often confused, ignorant, frightened, fearful, reactive, defensive. Um, And we can, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're actually doing breaking precepts, but we can feel an energy that is not nourishing us, is not supporting us, is causing us turmoil, 
this is the unwholesome. It's like a kind of, you know, a, a sort of mild poison that, uh, you know. So then there's the wholesome. And once you taste the wholesome, instinctively, intuitively, once you taste that intuitively, you you go to that, and that flushes out the unwholesome. So, so this this is really is you know the process of of realization of the four noble truths. Fourth noble truth is there is a path, there is a doing it, but the doing it is first of all getting the right view. You know there is good, there is bad. There is skillful, there is unskillful. There are beings who have realized this uh, complete awakening. So, you know, just can he get that at least as a little, you know, he um, think it, consider it, you know, so that it's not always doomed and stuck and everybody's just in it for themselves and, you know, no, no. Uh, and that you're fundamentally flawed <laughs> as a human being. You know? Because the, the, the point that the Buddha makes is if there were not this fundamental uh, quality of non-suffering, then there would be no awakening. It's because of ignorance, of not knowing, of not sensing, of not being in touch with, or of losing contact with the wholeness that we start to go strange we start to wander and we start to agitate and we start to feel lost. You know, this is ignorance. It doesn't mean you haven't got the facts or the ideas, it means you're out of touch. And when you're out of touch, where do you find touch? Where do you find it? Because it's sometimes it's it's uh, frustrating because it's uh, you know when your system, when your mind, is trained to really know all of the realms of samsara, so you, you know all those places, all those strategies, all those uh, points and places you can go to. Your mind keeps moving around because that's what it knows how to do. We know how to shuttle samsara. <laughs> so, and you try the best you can to shuttle around uh, you know and sometimes you put enormous amounts of effort into that and it's like you're rowing the boat but you didn't put it in the water you know wonderful effort tremendous but you didn't put the boat in the water <laughs> it ain't going to go <laughs> But if you put in the boat in the water, likelihood is it's going to go by itself. Because, <laughs> you know, it's going to float by itself. So it's just, just you know, say the first thing that just really, our effort is to just f- find where is this place, you know, to touch it, to at least aspire to that, to be reminded of this. And then some pragmatic means that give us glimpses of how we can do that opening, how we can be encouraged into that, how we can sense that, how we can relate that specifically 
to the particular event that's nailing me right now, the particular scenario that's gripping me, the particular persona that's inhabiting me right now. Because all of these, you know, personae that we become and know so, so well and get familiar with, these are all just phantoms inhabiting our space. They're not all bad. You know, they're all not. You know, some. They're not all unnecessary either. But you don't want to let them take over, because they're all small, little me's, you know, doing the best they can. But they can't do. <laughs> they can't do awakening. It's, it's beyond them. But if you learn to, whatever your little me is at the moment feel what it's coming from its uncertainties its pushes its wishes its hungers and just you know you like just embrace that and you come to you relate to that you get bigger than that and you, you know that will always take you out of the drama of the little me. Then, of course, you can then operate as a per, as a person from that perspective. You know, okay, but you're much lighter. You've got more more agility that way. You don't really take yourself as the centre of your life, your person, your personhood, your personality, your your persona is is, um, you know, just the point of reference, but it's not, it's not where you're centred. Then it can come and go, you know, you can have a whole range of them shuffling through. Anyway. <clears throat> and one of the uh, practicalities in meditation is is to um, to touch into a suffusive sense. So when we, you know, if you look at the practice of concentration or right concentration, you tune into something, breathing in, breathing out, you tune into that, use that as your, your centering device. And as you breathe, and the breathing is very helpful because breathing by itself is, is a suffusive experience. You know, it tends to spread through the whole body. Both the, the, particularly the energy of breathing in, breathing out, tends to suffuse. It's not, it's not a point thing at all. Mm. So then you tag the mind to that. It will tend to, if you tag your, your attention to the quality of energies, it suffuses the body. It will tend to make the mind open and suffusive. And you get the experience called rapture or uplift which is a buoyant sense. Suddenly you feel like you're in the sea, you know, suddenly you're being lifted. Uh, uh, and there's a kind of all-over uh, quality that's not really point-oriented. Point and then um, in the practice of concentration, basically people experience something like that and then gradually what will tend to occur is the, the breathing or the physical more specific aspects of breathing tends to fade. 
Instead, the quality of this suffusive brightness becomes steadier, and that becomes the object of concentration. It's not separate from the breath, but it's not this kind of physical tugging. You know, it's just more something more steady state, and the, the physical breath tends to become quieter and quieter as you, as your energy um, is, you expend less in emotional and psychological activity, so that the system actually requires less energy, and you start to find the breathing itself calm, becomes very st- quiet, and your focus uh, becomes more this sense of the field of of um, ease and tranquility and that's where you get one pointedness you become one pointed on that particular experience because your mind is attracted to that yeah so then one pointedness yeah now the the snag I suggest for myself or for I think for many people is we try to get the one point in this before we have the experience of suffusion. That is, right, be mindful of breathing. Get right onto that particular point of the breath. Hold that point really strong. Be very unwavering on that particular point. Sharpen up that particular point. Get more and more microscopic on that point. Hold that point with intensity, shutting off sounds, sights, colours, tastes, everything else. Shut off those thoughts. Get down to that point. Don't quit. Don't slack off. Get going. Get there. You know, cut that thought out. Get rid of that defilement. You know, you see, you get that kind of intensity builds up. And well, you know, you're pretty one. If one can feel one's one point, but it requires an enormous galvanizing of the will to do that. And then you, you know, and then you get irritable with noises, sounds, touches, sights. Or maybe you come out of the meditation and you're, you're hypersensitive and you start to get quite irritated by other people's behavior or by somebody putting their shoes in the wrong place or somebody sniffing behind you. You want to kill them. <laughs> That's, which seems really justifiable at that particular moment in time. After all... This is a serious process. There's no room for slackers in this. You know, I think, is this really making you into a better person? <laughs> so you think, well, I thought it was about concentration and getting one-pointed. And then you think, well, what happened to the happiness bit? Oh. What happened to the ease bit? Well, oh, how does that fit in? I don't get that. or what happened to loving kindness well you can't be loving kind and concentrated at the same time (laughs) loving kindness is a kind of emotional sort of moving around suffusing and doing all this kind of stuff and concentration is shutting everything down why did the Buddha teach both of them you know you can't is it impossible to be kind and concentrated at the same time you know so you either choose one or the other, you know. Well, I'm kind, I'm uptight, nasty, and antisocial. And when I'm when I'm when I'm concentrated, I'm uptight and antisocial. And when I'm loving kind, I'm completely confused and dithering. 
but nice. <laughs> you think it can't be right, can it? What what they have in common is they both they both elicit a suffusiveness, and it's that quality of suffusion. Yeah. And then just the sense of really, you know, knowing that. So it's not suffusion then proliferates into more and more forms, but it stays just a sense of a, a, a bright field. You know. And you're not kind of creating directives or objects or people or histories or things out of it. You just let it be that. You let it be bright. Let it just enjoy the wholesome, which can have a, a very wonderful heart feeling of uh, tenderness and brightness. It can have a body feeling of feeling relaxed and open. And really the two are not separate. You know, kind, loving kindness and, and samadhi, you know, they, they're different ways of looking at a similar experience. What they have in common is a sense of suffusion. Of, uh, and then you take that if you like, you know, you, you then focus on that very theme itself, and that's where you find that you drink that in, you feel satisfied and steadied. You know. And you know, you can then, if you like, depending on what, how it feels for you, you can, you know, if you incline that in terms of other people, you know, the personal realm, you'll tend to experience something like um, empathy, kindness. You know, if I, if I experience another, bring another person into my mind when I'm in an open, suffusive state, by itself I already feel a sense of warmth and love and, and, and so forth. I don't decide to do it. Just to be with another person in an open way is already for me an experience of, of, of loving kindness. That's what it means. I don't get there and then start crank out the, the, the joy juice stuff, you know. <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> and a lot of the time, you know, the problem is that I'm sort of too frightened or nervous or uncertain to experience that kind of openness. Yeah, so then I. You know, the, 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 there isn't that same sense. There's a sense of wanting to be, wanting to experience that, but I don't quite do it. I'm sort of, you know, something is, is, is much more contracted. Not necessarily with ill will, but often with uncertainty or anxiety. What if I get it wrong? What if I offend somebody? What if, um, you, know, you know, I'm too much for them? You know, what if I'm coming on too strong or what if I you know I don't want to be dominating people or dumping things on people so you get these kind of waverings and the ability to just sort of look just 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 trust when you you know even if it goes a bit wrong it doesn't have to be perfect um, and this is in, in when we, enormous blessing just kind of get rid of the myth of perfection and say we can we can handle you know the 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 imperfections of life. What kind of dumber practice is it if you can't handle imperfections with it? Pretty weak, isn't it? <laughs> and mostly, you know, the sense of the the wholeness is so um, encouraging in itself 
that that means you can take in the kind of grits and the misunderstandings and the discrepancies and the untidinesses and the messes and the confusions and it's yeah <laughs> without you know just contracting around that and saying this is you know life is just all this life is just suffering and conflict so, well there is this element in it but that's not that's not an ultimate truth dukkha is not an ultimate truth it's a reference point for where we're getting stuck and where by not fully understanding it, we're strategizing defense and we're strategizing blame and we're strategizing um, how to avoid it. You know? So we kind of shuffle and sidestep and skirt and you know, protect. And so when we live in this way, you know, beings are continually bouncing off each other's protection systems, wondering why we're not actually getting a feeling of openness with each other. So as individual practitioners, some of that, as it arises, you know, it doesn't all arise, but bits of that arise in a, in a day, I'm sure, for all of us. Bits of the self-view arise with all its dramas and uncertainties. Yeah. Rather than this is a person, even though it manifests as a person, all that arises is dukkha. Sounds grim, doesn't it? But but you realise that all that arises isn't all there is. There's also something that doesn't arise, doesn't flare up, it doesn't form a wave. It's just like the the space. And so that whatever kind of flares up and intensifies and forms into a kind of a uh, crystallising point, you know, this is this is where the uh, conflicts of Right, wrong, good, bad, win, lose, gain, fail, success, failure, got to get it right. You know, that's where it starts to happen. Peak experiences will always have troughs under, behind them. Mm-hmm. So all that arises, no matter how convincing, right, fascinating, desirable, so forth it is, is has this in it, has this dukkha in it. Mm-hmm. So don't be careful not to get seduced by these, these forms that arise or rattled by them. So something arises up and then we, we just get wider around that. And as things settle down, then as we come into our bodies, into breathing in, breathing out, feeling the rhythm of that. And this will certainly, um, is, is a very fine system for feeling into the, the blocked energies in the body, the where some of the psychologies have, have become kind of hardwired into the tensions and uh, attention skips, skipping of attention, jumping out, 
you know, when you have something like that, you can immediately sense jumping off, jumping off, jumping off, and you begin to to breathe through those, to keep returning, to keep emptying those 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 um, jumps of attention, those topics of just of attention where there are little seeds of fear or irritation or regret, you know, or excitement or anticipation, those little seeds. You keep emptying those back into the into the into the breath. And as you breathe out through them, you acknowledge them, you wait, feel what it feels like, feel and then you just slowly, steadily breathe out. You know? So if you're emptying everything back into your into your breath, into your breath energy. And this is a very um, steady and gentle system for clear, clearing these old karmic loops and patterns in the mind. It doesn't have to analyze them. You just recognize this is the arising of dukkha, and this is the ceasing of it, and this is the path. 